Corinthians. And we're going to be in the first chapter in 1 Corinthians as you turn there. So be prepared for the reading. We'll start in verse 17 in just a moment. But as you turn to the 1 Corinthians, the question to entertain this morning as we begin the message time is, do you know the power of the cross? Because that's what we talk about for the next couple of weeks, the power of the cross. Because it seems that in today's society, the power of the cross has greatly diminished. Now, the message today will take us a couple of weeks to complete. We'll have part one today and we'll have part two next week with the same text. But thinking about the power of the cross, again, society today and the culture, it's unfortunate in the time and day that we live in that the cross really has lost its meaning. It's really, if you will, void of any meaning anymore. An example of that is many years ago, in fact, it had been probably about 12 or 14 years ago when I was living in Texas, I had a chance to go with a youth group on a mission trip to Toronto, Canada. And as we went, we went there primarily to, there was a new church that had been planted, and our youth group was going to go about canvassing the community in which the church was planted, and just get neighbors and people aware that the church was now in existence, and to invite them to come and, and try to also help establish a youth group and to bring families to come to the church. And we went around different parks and stuff, playing games and stuff with some of the younger age children and was talking to the adults about the, the new church that was started there. And as we were on that particular mission trip, one of the ladies in our group wanted to go and to do some shopping. And they thought, well, it'd be kind of neat maybe to take back a cross from Toronto and to take it back to their to their house, you know. So they went into a jewelry store. In fact, they wanted to get a, a necklace. And they went into the, this jewelry store and started talking to the sales lady about what kind of cross necklace to get. And the sales lady started talking to our, the lady that wanted to buy the, the necklace and started talking to her about all the different varieties of crosses that she had. There's silver ones, there's, there's silver, there's gold. And then she stopped and she said, you know, we even have a cross as a necklace if you want to have it with a little man on top of the cross. That's how she described it. With the man on the cross. I mean, she had no idea what the man referred to. He had no idea it was Jesus. She describes it as a color and a man. If you want a man with your cross. And I got thinking about that as we talk about the power of the cross, that there is like an eyewitness that she has no idea about the power of the cross. And that in our society today, in our culture, that becomes now the norm. It seems to be more people have lost the meaning of the cross or just never understood the meaning of the cross and the power of the cross. So we then, as people, need to recognize that has happened in the time that we live. And we need to remind ourselves, of course, now the power of the cross and then go and share with others the mighty, awesome power of the cross in which Jesus went for all of us. The cross seems to have lost its identity. It's our responsibility to recognize the power and give it now back to the world. The text today in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 17, will help us be reminded of the power of the cross. So stand with me this morning. As we do to receive the word, we again are in 1 Corinthians, as Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. We're going to start in verse 17, which is the middle of the first chapter, and not read through the end. We're going to stop in verse 25. But here's what Paul says to the Corinthians in his first Corinthian letter in chapter 1, verse 17. 
He said, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of discerning I will throw where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We'll stop there. Father, Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word today, Lord. And we just ask as we review this passage that will begin to speak to us about the mighty, awesome power of the cross. Lord, as we come collectively together today, and even for anybody listening later, we recognize that as believers, as Christians, as followers, as disciples, we may recognize and know the power of the cross. But Lord, let us then, if we even know the power, just have a gentle reminder today of the mighty power of the cross. But then let us not just let us sit, but to now share with the world who may not know the power of the cross, to know that within the sacrifice that was made for us, with Jesus on the cross, that it can provide salvation for us because Jesus alone saves. So, Lord, now lead and guide and direct us here this morning and receive your message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, this passage we've read is kind of a powerful reminder of the cross, as I mentioned, and the sacrifice that was made for all of us. I mean, for every one of us. But perhaps we should start the message by observing that this passage is part really of a bigger unit of text and Paul writes to the church, uh, to Corinthians. He's dealing, if you will, just to kind of give you some background of division within the church. I mean, he, he begins the text and he has a salutation in the very beginning of the letter, which is his custom when he's writing any particular letter. Any letter you find from Paul, he always begins with the greetings and salutations. But it gets into, as you get into the first chapter before reading, talking about some division that begins to have within the church of Corinth. I mean, some scholars suggest that the, the entire first chapter, and all the way through really the fourth chapter, deals with division as he's trying to steer them back to having unity in the church. So, I mean, Paul has then a lot to say. If it takes four chapters within the beginning of his letter, he obviously has a lot to say to the Corinthians about the work of Satan and the lack of unity in the church of Corinth. But as I say that, let me also say this because I want to make sure we understand that the message today is not about division within our church because we have no division within Crossroads. We have a church that is standing alone, standing together, arms locked in unison, fighting Satan. We're always against Satan. And Satan is not dividing us in any way. We recognize that we are tied together, all of us, as family, by the blood of Christ. So as we see that Paul then, I mean, he's taking this moment to talk to the Corinthians about division, 
we don't have division within our church. So you may ask, well, why then do we pull this portion? If he's talking about division, why do we pull this portion of the text from the first chapter if we're not having division upon our members? And, and we pull this section really that we're looking at because this section really speaks of the cross and the power that is within the cross. I mean, as the text stated, the cross makes foolish the way of the world or the wise within the world. So again, the message is not about division for us. It was for the Corinthians. But the message for us today is about simply the power of the cross. So essentially, what we recognize this morning is that Paul points us to this, which really become our central theme for today and for next week as well, because it's a two-part message. So the central theme that Paul points us to is that the cross is the answer to the problems that plague men in this world. Now, men use the course generically, but there's, there's a central theme. And it's a theme for us to be able to maybe to, to remember, because the cross is the answer to the problems that plague people in the world today. So as we find that then being a central theme, let's go back to the text, begin to unfold it, and begin to dissect it, and see how we can apply it. Because we start in verse 17. So back to verse 17, you, you find something that becomes a little problematic for people when we begin to read this portion of the text for the Corinthians. Because Paul tells us in the very first verse that we look at today, in verse 17, is that for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And it's an important distinction to make here that baptism is not preaching the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong. Baptism is an extremely important step in a new believer's life, yes. Baptism follows the example of Jesus who be baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. Baptism also illustrates the seriousness one has and desire to follow Christ. As it demonstrates, the old person is gone and the new has emerged. In fact, Paul wrote in the second Corinthian letter, chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. In Romans chapter 6, he wrote this, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And I use that a lot when I have baptism because it essentially tells us that the old is gone and we emerge out of the water in the newness of walking with Christ. So yes, baptism is a very important step in a new believer's life. But just being baptized does not make you a true disciple or a follower of Christ. Meaning that more than the water is required to be a disciple. It isn't the water that saves you. And we make sure we make a distinction every time we have a baptism. It isn't the water that you're standing in where the baptism going to be submerged into that saves you. Even case in point, Scripture tells us this. As John was being baptized, John was baptized in the Jordan, he did so for repentance of sin, not salvation. Look with me in Mark chapter 1. John appeared, baptized in the wilderness, proclaiming the baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins, and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. It was a baptism confessing sins and meaning of repentance. 
Baptism is important, absolutely, in a believer's life. But the act of baptism, the submersion of water, is not the saving agent. Only Jesus saves. Only Jesus. And transitioning back to the text, Paul's trying to make that point. And Paul has full understanding and knowledge of baptism and the course of the gospel. But as he makes his point, I mean, he's not speaking against baptism. In fact, you go back in the, in the text and look a little bit before our reading, it tells us that Paul himself did have some people he baptized. And in fact, it tells us in verse 14, he baptized Crispus and Gaius. In verse 16, it says he baptized the household of Stephanus. So Paul knows the importance of baptism. He's clearly making a distinction. I mean, Paul's not speaking against baptism. So you say, well, okay, well, what's he saying then? I mean, what is this point? If he's not speaking against baptism and, and he has baptized other people, what is the point he's trying to make? And the answer to that question is the fact that he's, he, he's recognizing that some Christians, some believers then, and some believers still today, or people in general still believe today incorrectly, that baptism guarantees spiritual maturity and security. And Paul's just trying to downplay that view. He's trying to correct it. But notice as Paul down tries to correct what people have the idea of baptism is, that the exact same thing happens in the world today. Many people in the world today have the exact same idea that baptism is what saves you, that they have to be baptized to be saved. They think this is the water. It's not Jesus. It's the act of baptism they must have in order to be saved. Now, many times in my ministry over the years, I've had someone to come to me and say, Kurt, I, I, I want to be baptized, meaning that they think they have to be in that water and be submerged to be saved. And I quickly tell them, look, the water is only something that evidently will display to people of your seriousness for your decision. It's Jesus Christ and Christ alone that saves. I mean, they're suggesting they have to be baptized to be saved. And unfortunately, here's the thing. Many denominations today, some preachers and teachers of the word, is greatly miscommunicating about baptism. Case in point, when my son Tyler, who you've met before, now preacher at Nazarene Church in Francisco, when he decided to bicycle from Mount Pleasant, Texas, to Portland, Oregon, he eventually joined a church in Portland. It was called the Jesus Church. Now, later, Shield and I got a chance to go to Portland and to visit with Tyler, and on a Sunday morning, we went to his church. Well, it was a good service. In fact, it was a wonderful service. But at the very end, the preacher just stopped everything he's doing. We have a time of reflection here and a time of invitation. But the preacher there said, hey, whoever wants to be baptized, come up to the front. We'll baptize you right now. I'm thinking, dude, that's sending the wrong message. In order for us to have someone to be baptized here, we want to make sure they fully accepted Christ. Because I want to miscommunicate the message to thinking that they have to come forward to be baptized to be saved. I mean, think about the thief on the cross. In Luke 23, it talks about the thief who recognized Jesus as Lord and Savior. Did he ever get baptized? No, he died on the cross. So the act of baptism truly is important. But it's not what saves you. And it's sad that some preachers, some teachers today are miscommunicating the fact that baptism is it. Yes, it's important. 
But accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is the most important decision you have to make. And you follow through with believer's baptism. And it's sad that's being miscommunicated. And Paul's trying to correct it because the people then are being misled like the people are today. Thinking that's what it's about. That's what it is. But the point here then is really that we are not guaranteed salvation by the act of baptism. Salvation is only in accepting the cross of Christ, the sacrifice that was made for us. It is an accepting sacrifice that was made upon the cross, that Jesus took our place when it should have been us. In fact, the cross demonstrates the love of God. I mean, the fact that he accepts those that accept his son as Lord and Savior. And as a result, allows us to walk with him day by day. Yeah, Paul is not against baptism. And neither am I. And neither should any of us be. In fact, we should encourage it, but also rightly tell people what it's about and that Jesus alone saves. Now, going back to the text, we find that Paul, then, in verse 17, doesn't just talk about baptism or that he came to baptize, not to baptize. But notice, as he says in verse 17 at the end, he came to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. So we observe here that after Paul clarifies what baptism is or is not, that he begins to add that he will preach the gospel, but with words of wisdom that is not by choice, by lest the cross be nullified. I mean, he, he, he says, basically, it can be reduced to nothing. All you're trying to do is speak, of eloquent speech, and not talk about the, the point of the cross, you're reduced to nothing. You're nullifying the cross. I mean, he's actually saying the cross can be emptied of its power, which is remarkable because we find the cross to be full of power. It's awesome, mighty power of Jesus dying on the cross for all of us. So Paul's trying to say here, if all you try to do is make fancy words and eloquent speech, you're actually emptying the cross of its power. If that's confusing, consider another translation the New Living Translation just words it this way. He tells Paul to preach the good news and not with clever speech for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. And you're thinking like I am. Okay, now how, how possibly could words make cro the cross lose its power? Of course, Paul just answers by preaching the gospel wisdom of words. But let me give you an example because basically what it's saying is for those who desire to preach to impress others with words or of eloquence. The best example possibly is the fact that there are people called preachers who may see live or on TV that seem to preach with intentions to impress rather than convey the true meaning of the gospel. And I could easily name you many different people who you've probably heard of, maybe even read their books or seen on TV a position, a position in view of millions of people speaking each day in a manner to make you feel good enough to give you them their your money, but they never actually ever give you a message of anything but trying to make you feel good or better about yourself. What I'm saying is they never will ever tell you that it's sin in your life and what you need to have to Savior. They're just using the eloquence of words. They're using words that would 
make someone just truly feel better about themselves. The main feature said they never talk about sin. It's the three-letter word, sin, sin. Sin is the three-letter word that gets us in the shape we are today, in our world, in our society, in our schools. I mean, it's just where we are because of sin. It's the three-letter word that every one of us have in our lives. We all are guilty of sin. Even so, some preachers may not tell you you have sin. We all have sin. It is the word that helps us realize that we have to have a Savior. We cannot save ourselves. So here's a question to consider then. How can you possibly convey the message and the power of the cross without ever pointing someone to their sin? The answer is you can't. You cannot ever talk about the power of the cross and the message that was made within the cross and the sacrifice that was made without bringing someone to recognize that they have sinned. And sin is sin. We put it on a category or scale of one sin being worse than the other. But Paul distinctly wrote in Romans 3.23, we all sin and fall short of glory of God. I mean, every one of us have sinned, right? Every one of us have sinned. So maybe as we think about that, maybe we all need to be talking about our sin in our lives more frequently. Now, don't go out and tell your things on Facebook. You ever notice how people sometimes do that? How they have any little thing that's wrong to go out and put it on Facebook and everybody know about it. I mean, that's fine if that's what you want to do. But I'm not asking you to go ahead and confess your sin for public knowledge on Facebook. I'm just asking you to recognize that we all have sin in our lives. And perhaps if we all would just admit that we are sinners and that we need a Savior, then the world would look much differently. You think? If we would just all admit that we have sin. And that we need a Savior, then the world will look differently. Because you know, you know people who think they have no sin. They think they can do no wrong. And you probably know every sin they probably have. And they do plenty of them. But unfortunately, that's where we're at. We have ministers, we have preachers, we have teachers, we have clergy that too often sugarcoat the gospel, bringing you a prosperity gospel. But the gospel truly is that Jesus Christ went to save mankind by going to the cross and taking our place. I mean, you just can't bring someone to realize their need for a Savior, their need for Jesus Christ, without having them first recognize that they are a sinner. If they never think they're a sinner, they have no need for a Savior. So Paul saying, Luke, to use fancy, flowery, flattering words in an effort to water down the gospel is to simply nullify the cross. It is to empty of its power because the cross truly has power. And you use any other word you want to use other than sin associated with the cross, he's saying you're just making it so people don't understand the power. Essentially what Paul is saying is this. Some speakers use impressive words and become more concerned about the content of its message and its points and arguments than proclaiming the truth of the cross. The cross is to be preached because it holds the power of God to save men, women, and children of the world. You don't need to be a great speaker with a large vocabulary to share the good news effectively. The persuasive power is in the story itself, not the storyteller. It's not about the words you use. 
is simply about the story of the cross and the sacrifice that was made for each and every one of us. It's the power of the cross. But to notice as much as that is true, look at me verse 18, because it suggests that not all then value the gospel, the story of the cross. Verse 18 informs the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. In fact, it says that. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. I mean, it's an interesting turn in the Corinthian letter here that Paul now has turned to his strategy of bringing the believers there to their spiritual senses by reminding them that the cross of, the cross of Christ on which salvation rests is this is disdained, it's despised, it's scorned, it's looked down upon by the world. The word, the world finds the cross of Christ offensive. It finds our gospel offensive, as intolerant, as maybe even derogatory, as simply as narrow-minded. But the cross of Christ and the Christian gospel is true. In our world, there are many religions. You've probably heard of many different religions, possibly maybe even entertain some of them. All of us try to offer some path to heaven or the afterlife. But in all reality, there is only one God who has offered one way to salvation. And it is only through the cross of Christ. The cross does not offer salvation through Buddha. The cross does not begin to happen with allegiance to Muhammad. Salvation cannot be found with Hindu. The cross means nothing to someone entertaining Scientology. In fact, the cross is foolish. It's foolish to anyone outside of Christianity. But the fact remains only Jesus paid our debt of our sin on the cross. And if we repent of his sins, his blood shed on the cross will wash us as white as snow, as we sang earlier. The message of the cross offers our only hope in the world for our sinfulness. Tim LaHaye writes a book called The Power of the Cross. In the book, he tells a story of a 40-year tenured UCLA philosophy professor. Been there for 40 years at UCLA teaching philosophy. He prided himself on turning young college students away from cross away from Christ. Have you ever seen the movie God's Not Dead? This is actually what's happening in the movie God's Not Dead, but it's in real life. A 40-year tenured college professor at UCLA desires to turn their young college students away from Christ. Essentially, like the movie says, God's not dead. But the illustration that LaHaye writes about in his book is actually different than the movie in that the professor's grandson tragically dies. A birth defect has taken the professor's grandson before he was at the age of three months of old. Three months old. So in the article, the professor then afterwards wrote in American Humanist magazine, he stated how he would stood at the crib where the dead boy lay and emotionally told the young boy, my son, you shall live as long as I live, for you shall live in my mind. LaHaye says it's a hor horrific and sad story portrays the lostness, really, of the college professor. It's a horrific and sad story portrays that people don't understand the power of the cross. 
Because LaHaye says if he had been there, it had been his situation where he had lost his young grandson. He said he wouldn't have reacted the same way the professor did. According to the professor said, my son, you shall believe as long as I live, shall have you in my mind. That's what the professor said upon the death of his grandson, three months of age. LaHaye said we would have positioned it much different. As believers, we would have said something like, my son, you not come to me now, but I could come to you, and we will be forever with the Lord in eternity because we know the power of the cross. Whereas a college professor discounted the power. In fact, he found it foolish. It's just a tragic story of how many people in the world today seem to look upon the cross as foolishness. Unfortunately, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know the very power of God. That's the heart of verse 18. And this is Paul is attempting to alienate or to change the Corinthians' fondness for worldly values and cultural acceptability. Paul is pleading. In this portion of the letter, he's talking about division, but he's also trying to plead with the Christians to wake up. Do not rely on wisdom of words. Because man's wisdom is false. It says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to man, but his end is a way to death. And Paul is pleading that the Corinthians let go of the worldly, wise beliefs and notions and just cling to the cross. Say you another way, Paul loves the Corinthian church so much that he does not want them to learn at death of the truth that they rejected the life. Let me say that again. Paul loves the Corinthian church and the people within so much he does not want them to learn upon their death the truth they rejected in life. We must have a similar love for mankind. We must love all people so much that we want them to receive the truth of everlasting life and know the power of the cross. In fact, we must help the perishing as described in verse 18. And Paul, in essence, he incorporates the the text we used last week, so to speak, in in Luke 19.10, when it said that Christ came to in the world to seek and save the lost. I mean, in some, the, the cross of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing. But we must help the perishing. We must make sure they understand the value and the power of the cross and, and how they must accept it. They must accept the power of the cross. There is mighty, awesome power in the cross. But they think of it as foolishness. As a man just on the cross. It has no meaning. We need to ask ourselves today, then have we fully accepted the cross of Christ and surrendered to the power of the cross? Or somehow, some way, are we among the perishing? Because the prayer we should have for each other, in fact, for people maybe not even here, is that we must cling to the cross and let go of any foolishness that tells us of anything other than the power of the cross and remove themselves from the perishing. Because there are people today among the perishing that you must that you know, that you love, that greatly discount the value of the cross and the power of the cross. I've got an illustration I'm going to read to you of a mess it up. I didn't read it to you, but stay with me here because I want to make sure you know about Blue Lewis. You probably have never heard the name of Blue Lewis. Now Blue Lewis was serving a life sentence for murder. He was a big boy, about like Micah probably, or, or Isaac. 
at the age of 16. You know, bigger than the rest of us at age of 16. But he was a big boy, and he, he was in a gang fight, and he killed a man in the midst of the gang fight in the street. So he went to prison. Found guilty, went to prison. In prison, Blue Lewis, at the age of 16, being the big man that he was, he took up boxing. And he eventually became champion of the entire federal prison boxing system. Like many young men in prison, particularly his age, he was angry. He was also powerful, and he was extremely violent. Because of his size and the power and his boxing ability, most people, even the guards themselves, would just leave Blue to himself. Never bother. Basically, they didn't want to provoke Big Blue because they knew what he could do. They knew of the power he had. They knew of his size and of his boxing ability. But one particular person who was not afraid of him was a gentle 28-year-old widow woman who came into the prison was simply the love of Christ in her heart. It happened to be that the prison had established a chaplaincy program. The relatively young woman was not part of the program of the chaplains, but she begged the chaplain at the prison for permission to speak to the inmates. Reluctantly, he finally agreed, and then she seized the opportunity to convey the love of Jesus in the Easter story. The woman, before she came, she made cutouts of Pilate and of Jesus and the Jews and told everybody then in the audience about the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Upon the completion of her reenactment, she had many people of the inmates to come forward to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's a powerful message given by a 28-year-old widow woman. They were among the lost and the perishing, but they were soon found of hearing the Easter message. Well, the chaplain was in amazement at the reaction from the prisoners. But she began to come regularly, and she grew a large crowd each and every time she came to the prison. Eventually, one prisoner told Big Blue Lewis what was going on. So he visited. He kind of got hooked on the little lady and he himself marvelously converted to Christ. And that's a great story about a, a, a young kid that didn't know anything about the power of the cross, that got himself in a street fight with a gang, committed murder to someone, and went to prison, and became a boxing champion, but eventually had this 28-year-old woman just led him ultimately to Christ. That's a great story because he obviously was among the lost and perishing. There's lost and perishing everywhere around him. But the story doesn't end there. It says, Blue became a changed man with his acceptance of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's what happened. When you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we know that the change begins to happen. If you truly, truly have accepted Christ as Lord, the change begins to happen from the inside out. That's exactly what happened to Big Blue, this big, horrific, big guy. I mean, inmates, guards, and the warden began to detect a new spirit about Big Blue. The once frightening man was now changed and became like a gentle giant. It says Blue attended regularly and grew with continued studies. In fact, the prison formed a Friday night Bible study, led then by the five foot, 28 year old widow woman who was energized by the power of the cross. 
Blue came to these studies. He came so regularly, he eventually adopted a 28-year-old five-foot woman as his spiritual mother. But years later, Blue was transferred to another prison about 50 miles away. One day, a riot broke out, and 13 guards were captured by some of the most violent criminals in the facility. A standoff occurred for several hours. The warden didn't know what to do. Thirteen guards are captured by these violent inmates. He didn't know what to do. He couldn't free the men. A thought occurred to him to go after Big Blue, to have Big Blue to come up on the scene. Big Blue was still active in boxing and actually at this point was a hero to other prisoners. So the warden asked him if he would volunteer to serve as a negotiator. Reluctantly, at first, Big Blue said, no, I don't have any part of that. But he eventually said, after the warden pleaded with him further, and he got thinking about the 28-year-old woman, what she would do, he eventually said he would, he would do it, but only with the Lord's help. So Big Blue stepped in, and remarkably, peace was restored. With Blue's actions and the change that occurred in his life, this 16-year-old who had been sentenced to life in prison, and because of his faith and his new identity in Christ, he was recommended for parole. Remember, he was serving a life sentence for killing a man. So from 16 years of age when he went into prison, 16 years later, at the age of 32, he was recommended for parole, and Big Blue then became a free man in the public eye. But the point of the story is that Blue had become a free man when he came out of the darkness and into the light by accepting the power of the cross. He became a free man when he accepted Jesus Christ and sacrificed his man on the cross. He became a free man when he recognized there was power in the cross as given to him and conveyed by a five-foot, 28-year-old widow woman. And consider his transformation. He was a criminal at 16, sentenced to life in prison. And with the hearing of the gospel by this brave 5-foot, 28-year-old woman, a widow, in fact, he received the power to cross, and it changed his entire life. The story should tell us that Big Blue is just one, a real-life story. Blue Lewis is one of many people we can find today in the world that are among the perishing. Yeah, a lot of them in prison, but a lot of them are your neighbors. They're your schoolmates. They're your coworkers. that are lost and viewed the cross as foolishness. They may know you go to church. They may know about your faith in Christ. They may know about your power to cross that you say you identified. But to them, it's still foolishness. And it's our responsibility as believers and as a church collective together to convey the power of the cross to them. I suspect that all of us already know the power of the cross. We know that is what we must recognize. Jesus Christ going to that cross, making a sacrifice for us, shedding his blood for every one of us that has given us a chance to be saved. We should know that baptism is not what saves us. It is Jesus Christ alone. But so many people in the world today are so confused about the entire thing. And they find the cross as foolishness. 
and think all they need to do is stand a little bit of water and say a few words, and that's enough. That is not enough. That is not what saves you. We have so many people who think they have said the words, and that is enough that they're going straight to hell. We need to convey the power of the cross and the fact that Jesus alone saves. Because people that we love will not be with us in eternity. That's just a sad truth. There is power in the cross. We have received the power. Let's convey the power to others. Father, Lord, we thank you for this message today as we begin to talk about the power within the cross. Lord, we thank you that we have received Christ to recognize the cross and the sacrifice that was made for us. But Lord, we're heartbroken. We should be heartbroken knowing that there's others around us who have looked upon the cross simply as foolishness. They are among the perishing. That something should happen to them today, they would not be with us in eternity. So Lord, let us today reflect upon that sacrifice and the power within the cross where Jesus went that carried that burden for us. Reflect upon that, Lord, of how we should be thankful first and foremost, but in how we should also convey that same message to others. Lord, it's our responsibility. That's the plan you have for mankind, for us to go into the world and share the good news, the gospel, and convey the power, the power to save. There is no plan B. Your plan is for us as believers to go and convey the gospel, the good news, the power of the cross, and have them come to Christ. Lord, let's be brave to go into the world, into the mission field, and give them the good news. We thank you, Lord, for how we've received it. And to be one not here today, Lord, to ever see the cross and the power within, the sacrifice made by Jesus. Let them come to the truth today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.